Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. We're celebrating the 100th episode of the Habit Podcast. We're celebrating so hard, in fact, that we're now on the 101st episode and still celebrating. This is part two of a special retrospective. I asked podcast listeners to tell me some of their favorite moments from the first 99 episodes. Producer Drew Miller joins me as we replay and relive some of these favorite moments. One of the um, moments that several people um, you know, identified as, as among their favorites was uh, when Brown Bannister uh, starts talking about the difference between saying, here I am and there you are. Mm. And I remember something that, that um, Ben Shive told me that he, he, was, he was quoting you and you may have been, I think you were quoting somebody else, but that there are people in the world who are kind of here I am and there are the people who say there you are. Mm-hmm. And, and you are very much a there you are kind of, you seem to have embraced that as your calling to say it's my. That's fair. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair. Of helping other people. Yeah. Uh, find their, you know, do their best work. Yeah. And um, I'm just interested in, that's not a question, that was a statement, but. That's okay. Well, actually the quote, I I don't know where it came from, but when, but my oldest son, Ben, uh, I I don't even know what the context was. We might've been talking about Peter Pan uh, of Hooked or Hook, Mm -hmm. you know, that version with Robin Williams. Yeah. And you know that scene when he find, he's old and pudgy and got glasses and a beard and uh-huh. doesn't look anything like Peter Pan. <laughs> and all the Lost Boys are there, and he's thinking, "Oh my goodness, here's all the Lost Boys," but they don't recognize him. Yeah. And then finally, they're like, really like, "What's who is this? What's going on?" And then one of them just like takes off the glasses and like pulls his face back so it's not wrinkled and everything. Uh-huh. everything and he says. There you are, Peter, Uh, which is so, what a sweet moment, right? Um, And I I think we were talking about that, and Ben said, my son Ben said, you know, there's really two kinds of people, if you have to break it down into two kinds, you know, Richard Rohr would not approve of that, (laughs) but uh, dualistic thinking, but there are two kinds of people in, in terms of how, people present themselves. There's a, here I am person, like you said, and there you are person. And that just really struck me. You know, I think one of the things that that people who don't write or, you know, or people who don't think, don't think of themselves as creative people, maybe think of creative people as being here I am people. Sure. And that my experience, which has been very much affirmed in the process of recording these these episodes, yeah. is that there's a whole lot of there you are among mm. people who do creative work, mm. and and they really are looking to serve and looking to encourage and and give hope and and tell other people they're not alone. Yeah, yeah, you know I am. Um, that just helped frame something that I've heard Carolyn Aaron say. Mm, yeah. uh, she talked about how for the longest time she was just overcome with stage fright every time mm-hmm. she would uh, be playing music for anybody. And the thing that 
changed it for her was being reminded that her role on the stage is not to be here I am. It's not mm-hmm. to uh, be perfect and be the object of attention. It's actually to allow those in attendance to engage with their own emotions. Yeah. And so she really is just a kind of a conduit. She's up there helping the listener to um, get to know themselves better even. And so when she heard that, she was able to switch from stage fright to curiosity. Just huh. like, well, I'm here and you're here. Yeah. And how can I know you? And how can I help you? And how can I, wow. you know, and I just, I love that. Not only is that true, that she's, she's a there you are person, but that even making that switch to there you are helped her overcome stage fright. So yeah, that's it's, great. it's even a very practical um, yeah, sort of. yeah. I've got a story about that, but first we need to get Carolyn on the oh my gosh, podcast. Do you have her email? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. What so, is it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I memorized it. Um, when I was in the, I mean, the depths of uh, uh, writer's block with Charlton's boy, just could not get it done. Mm. Um, gone. I don't know how long without producing any new pages um, and didn't know what I was going to do. It was just sort of this, this you know, whirl hole of self-loathing and, you yeah. know, I got a, an, an email from a reader, a longtime reader who said, hey, I, I just want to let you know, I kind of need this book. <laughs> and, and I can't remember how she phrased it exactly, but it was, it just shook me out of that, that idea that this writer's block was somehow, was my personal tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, there are people who might need this for some reason. Yeah. And that just really opened things up for me. Yeah, you're implicated in the readership. Yeah. It's not just you. Yeah. It's not a closed system. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Doug McKelvey, every moment holy, you know, just mm-hmm. the being told, hey, I need this. You know, yeah. This is a resource. This isn't just your work of art. Yeah. Which I think the best works of art are that way, you know, um, transcend just being works for themselves or they, yeah they go beyond self-expression to something else yeah yeah you know one of the recurring themes um, throughout these episodes uh, one of you know, one of several recurring themes has been community and the idea of that we need each other if we're going to be doing creative work and I think the the person that was most articulate on that subject probably was uh, was Ned Buster if I'm making um, then I'm doing what God has made me to do. And I, that's, I think that that's my calling. Uh, I see that as being something that I do for my community um, rather than um, on a, a large, a large uh, stage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I end up on this podcast talking a, a good bit about this idea of, of uh, writing for your community, you know, for, for, um, actual people you know, and how that right. can, that can be a it, it can often be a um, uh, the answer to to writer's block. Um, you know, when you when you think I'm trying to do something for the public or whatever, that's who knows what's going to come of that. But when you're thinking I'm going to do something that's going to serve, you know, these three people who I know and who come over to my house sometimes. Um, oh, exactly. Yeah, I I. I find that that's definitely the case for me because when I try to think about what 
the public or or people or they will want it it usually is kind of crippling but when i think i mean you know i most of the people who have my artwork live within walking distance of me so <laughs> i you know i know what the work will look like um on their walls when i think about what i'm going to make i make it in uh, a size that can fit a frame that they can buy at their local craft store uh-huh. and it's going to fit uh on their walls not on some kind of crazy big uh new york apartment wall one of one of the members of the habit said uh, i remember exactly where i was when i heard that it gave me the courage to pick up two different projects that i just kind of dropped I got back to work on it because I started to think about my friends and neighbors who might really benefit from my work on their behalf. I've thought about that moment so many times since then. That's so good. You know, it kind of even dovetails with something I've heard you say about uh, when you're writing a book and you're stuck. And as soon as you started to envision a specific person, a friend, (laughs) you were addressing the book to them. And it just started, I just want to tell this person about Flame O'Connor. Yeah, that person was Andy Osinga, by the way. Andy Osinga, there you go. That's what I, I didn't want to get it wrong. Yep, but yeah. I mean, yeah, because Andy exactly and I had gone, we were bowling, and he said, mm-hmm. what are you, you just, you know, hey, you talk to people while you're waiting for the ball to come back when you're bowling. Right. And he said, what are you working on? I said, oh, you know, I'm working on a book about Flannery O'Connor. And he kind of said, it's, it's for well-read Christian people who have heard they're supposed to like Flannery O'Connor, but they just don't. And he's like, that's me. <laughs> right. And I had been kind of stuck, and, I, and that's... I, after just every morning waking up and thinking, what does Andy think I need to know about Flannery O'Connor today? I just pushed through to the end in a very short period of time. There you go. <laughs> you know, each, each week when I'm preparing to interview somebody, I send them an email that says, hey, here are some topics I want to talk about. Um, but then I also say, I'm not going to be working real hard to get through these topics. We're just going to start talking and we're going to follow the conversation where it goes. And, uh, you know, it was funny to see as as people were writing in, here are my favorite moments, how many of those moments were things that I had no expectation mm-hmm. of us talking about, that I that I had not, you know, because the magic happens in conversation whenever the alchemy, now I'm mixing metaphors, we got magic and we got alchemy. What else is uh, it going to be, John? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, when, when Russ Rams and I are old friends, so we started talking, we just started talking, and... And we got on the subject of, well, you'll see. You, <laughs> and so will we, apparently. Well, I also had uh, one person that just, in I spoke with about writing about difficult relationships. And they said, um, as much as you don't want to write anything overtly um, criticizing somebody, you should also not want to do that in a veiled way either. Hmm. Like, don't and and this person said, if you do, you'll probably find a year or two later that you wish you hadn't included that. Yeah. And in, in the book, and I've deleted, I deleted some paragraphs uh, from Struck in the writing process based on that advice. Of these I paragraphs am, weren't about me, were they? They were not about you. Okay. They were not about you. But they, but you know, it was the kind of thing where you, you know, we we wound each other, yeah. and um, and so you you want to you want to tell some of those stories, uh, and I think what they were the advice they were giving me was if you if you are wounded by somebody, um, is that anybody else's business to really know? 
Uh, especially in the form of a book, which is kind of forever. And then if you're going to do it in a veiled way, uh, I will say in Struck, there are one or two sentences that I know carry some freight that the person who doesn't know the story or even does know the story would not not pick up on. But I know. And honestly, now when I read them, I think, I could have done without that. Yeah. I could have done without that. Yeah. Um, It was cathartic, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. but, yeah, yeah. But you can have that catharsis without leaving it in. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. There's a there's a there's a there's a great thing. Uh, it's it's a great practice sometimes to to write it down and then delete it. Yeah. You know, as opposed to hey, don't write it. No, sometimes it's cathartic to yeah. write it. Yeah. But then. That's right. We need to distinguish the difference between writing something and then foisting it on other people. Yes. Making, making them yeah, read yeah, it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I had uh, in in the my Flannery O'Connor book a. Um, a reader, um, you know, suggested that I take out a story that that didn't that a didn't reflect super well on her mm-hmm. on Flannery O'Connor, and b was somewhat hearsay. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably true, but nevertheless, it was it was not well documented. And he said, "I I don't think you want to do that." And I'm so glad that I didn't include that story in really? that book. Yeah. So you heeded the advice. You said you know I did what? heed the advice. Yeah. 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 And I was very thankful for somebody stepping in and saying, I'm not sure you want to do this. Yeah. Usually if you have somebody that knows you and you trust and they come and they say in a concerned way, I don't know that you want to do this, you ties should go to them a lot of times. Yeah. You know, they, they that's right. they're 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 seeing something you're not seeing and taking the risk in friendship to say Mm-hmm. Uh, future you is not going to want present you to do what you're yeah. doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes, so of those first 99 episodes, 40 of those guests were people that are actual friends in real life. Mm-hmm. Right? Which, by the way, that's, that's, I'm very blessed to know 40 people that can make, they can be good podcast guests. But then, but then, you know, a lot of the magic happened with people I didn't know what to expect. From and so I was I was talking to Erwin Entz and somehow we got on the subject of beauty, mm-hmm. and um, he just blew me away. And you have to be a human being, or you have to be—I guess you have to have a soul to appreciate yeah. beauty, right? I mean, a, a, a lion can't say that's a beautiful gazelle. He can only <laughs> say that that gazelle looks delicious. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, and again, a, a, a lion's only only relationship to a gazelle is I want to possess that thing and eat it. That's great. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. You don't see the lion just pontificating on on the beauty of the gazelle's leap, <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah, that that leap that we think is so beautiful to to, right. to the lion is an inconvenience, right? <laughs> right. That's exactly. <laughs> so, which to the point, and I make this point in our book, right? That beauty is not about utility. Yes. It's not about what is just useful. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's why, that's why you find this reality that the, the reality of human sin is that we want to possess, right? We want yep. to own, right? Yeah. Uh, we want to center ourselves. Um, and, and beauty uh, is not, it's not something we, quote unquote, can own and possess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so... This is why, for example, 
within when you look at uh, the civil rights movement and, and post-civil rights, you would hear African Americans use this term "black is beautiful." Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it became part of what African Americans would say. Yeah, and I and I I argue that it's not because the that in the history of the of America the primary message had been that black was ugly, uh-huh. but that black was youthful. That, oh man, that is great, Erwin. Right, that it was about useful enslavement, usefulness, yeah. to yeah. right for economic purposes. Yes, right, and that's about possession. Right, uh-huh. and beauty is not about possession. Right, yeah. so that's a, even a decl- declaration of liberty <laughs> to say. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about that for hours. Uh, right. I know, man. I, I thought we were just ha- having fun talking about you know how lions couldn't see gazelles as as beautiful, and then yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, and beauty is. I mean, I don't know if it's. I don't think it's going too far to say that beauty by definition is that which cannot be possessed. Yeah. I mean, in, to encounter beauty is necessarily to come face to face with something that exceeds your grasp. Yeah. Yeah. And if it didn't, then it wouldn't be beautiful, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this that was just one of many moments in the last 99 episodes of these huge ideas some of which I was expecting, some of which I wasn't expecting, um, coming out. And since you since you mentioned the idea of possessing and grasping, mm-hmm. um, this might, might be a good segue into uh, something that Malcolm uh, Guype said. Mm-hmm. And by the way, let me just let me just say, I mentioned you know that I got to interview my friends, which is great. The other thing that I love about this job is that I've got an excuse to reach out to people like. Malcolm Guy, James K. Smith, Tish Harrison Warren, and say, "Hey, I know we're not friends, but could we talk?" <laughs> it's a great, <laughs> it's a great like way of sort of backdoor friendship. That's uh, right. Request. <laughs> um, but so that that oh, let me tell you something about that. You probably already know this, uh, Drew, but the people listening may not or don't. Uh, when I interviewed Malcolm Guy the first time. We had this great talk. Um, he just blew me away. Oh. And after half an hour, I looked down and realized because th- this was, you know, in I was doing this by Skype, and mm-hmm. I had not been recording it. And mm-hmm. I had to tell him, "Hey, I'm sorry, Malcolm. I didn't record any of that. We got to start over." Oh. And he was a really good sport. Started over. Was as brilliant as the first time and didn't repeat himself. Outrageous. <laughs> that man. <laughs> Anyway, here's and, and so somebody some one of my the habit members who who you know suggested this particular passage said um, uh, every college student should have to listen to this episode and um, and I listened to this on my lunch break and it was like having a writing retreat on my lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's high praise. In other words, the shadows of imagination are bodying forth certain truths. Um, from the inner nature. And in fact, of course, Shakespeare had put the same thing much, you know, even more clearly much earlier in The Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah. where he talks about, um, you know, 
The poets I in a fine frenzy rolling doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven. Mm -hmm. And as imagination bodies forth the form of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing, a local habitation and a name. It's a bodying forth um, of the inner into the yeah. inner. Yeah. That's the same speech, isn't it, where we talk about apprehending and not comprehending? Ooh. That's right. He talks about how imagination apprehends more than cool reason ever comprehends. And I think our ways of knowing are on a kind of spectrum between apprehend and comprehend. Yeah. And um, we move back and forth. I mean, apprehend, you know, the prehend part of that, obviously, is to do with taking hold of something, like having a prehensile tail you can hold things with. Uh, so... You can just about reach out to the apprehensible and touch a bit of it. The comprehensible, you can get your mind right the way around. Yeah. But actually, um, what you need all the time is a way in which you can woo the apprehensions, as it were, gradually towards comprehension. And also open the comprehensions out into new apprehensions. Yeah. Yeah. And that mediating between those ways of knowing... Um, Imagination apprehends more than cool reason ever comprehends, says Shakespeare. Imagination is precisely the means whereby we do that. Oh, yeah. Love it. Because one way to make sure we comprehend things is to limit them to things that are small enough that we can reach around. Right. Yeah, you know. And the idea of a God who, who both gives us a world we can begin to comprehend, but constantly beckons us through that comprehension and apprehension is is fundamental to the Christian faith. So, you know, the whole point about, you know, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has never comprehended it, you know, isn't it? it can't be contained. And um, the, there's a kind of uh, symbolic dynamic. I mean, I believe these things literally and truly happened as well. But um, between, on the one hand, the womb of the incarnation and the, the virgin womb, and the empty tomb, the tomb that had never been used by anybody else before. And uh, one of them speaks of the God who is bodied forth and comes mm. to us. Mm. The other, the empty tomb, why seek you the, the living among the dead? The way he appears and then he disappears and then he draws them and then he... Is the God who is always leading us beyond what we thought we knew. Where do you even start with that? I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, the problem with the Malcolm Guide episode is that, and this is what two different people told me, is why don't you just play the whole Malcolm Guide episode? Right. <laughs> for, for the favorite moments. And, it's and that was a more or less random selection from that. Uh, it, we could have done any 30 seconds from that. His ability to take such dense philosophy, really, yeah. and articulate it, I mean, so poetically, yeah. obviously, because he's a poet. Is, is incredible. Uh, and like I said, that was his, that was his second <laughs> episode he had done in, in, you know, 40 minutes, and he didn't even say that the first time. Yeah, incredible. Um, I, I was, you know, similarly excited to have James K. Smith um, on, the, on the podcast shortly after his um, On the Road with St. Augustine came out, and again, and he, and, and, and I think uh, James K. Smith or Jamie Smith was, he really enjoyed being on just because nobody had really talked to him about Augustine with regard to writing. And so um, that, I felt like we gave Jamie Smith a little something too.
or you might say your character is his wants. Mm. Which, by the way, that's what my character is too, as a person. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what I want, and and I, I make choices based on what I want, and and then you know there are consequences, and then maybe my desires change. And, you know, the, the, just I think it's just so helpful in so many ways. It you know for 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 writers to to think about. These I things. love. I love this connection you're making because yeah, and it, and it also explains then why writing um, is such a science of the soul, as it were. I mean, it's it's the art that is the science of the soul, and why why it's why um, a novel can tell me more about myself and can tell us more about humanity uh, than you know a newspaper article, because in a way, the best literature is getting at people's hungers, desires, and and is is getting at the is trying to honor the complexity of that mm-hmm. and and i think augustine um it's interesting in fact i'm talking to a friend who teaches at the university of iowa writers workshop garth greenwell and uh-huh. when he teaches writing he teaches augustine's confessions um and not just for memoir but for um uh, a, a kind of writing that is attentive to the dynamics of desire, the way in which our loves are sort of the engine that drive our being in the world. And yeah. I, th- I think you're right that Augustine is in that sense. Um, I think one of the reasons why Augustine is still with us is because he was so prescient in that regard. Mm-hmm. And so it's at once very, very intimate. You know, you can peer into a soul, and yet it also helps you to understand others. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, no, I, I'm encouraged to hear that that's helpful in teaching writing, too. That's very cool. Yeah, no, this, that, that episode was especially special to me because, I, I mean, first of all, Jamie Smith has so shaped my understanding of a whole lot of things and, um, and those ideas from from uh, Augustine of the ordered and the disordered loves, you know, shape the way I think about both my, you know, my own life and other people, the people around me and, under, you know, understanding their, you know, who they are and what they're, what they're about. And by the way, it gives me a way to be a little more kind to people who are in, in the wrong, knowing that my own, you know, loves are disordered too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but more to the point, for our purposes, it is so shaped the way I think and talk about storytelling, and mm-hmm. and uh, it was just a just a thrill to me to talk to Jamie Smith about those those very mm-hmm. topics. Mm-hmm. Well, the the story that uh, that the most people you know identified as their favorite moment was when Layfinger started talking about a fox. I think you can tell when a writer is working um, with uh, an accessibility or an openness to to delight, and and maybe when they aren't. Um, and and I think I mean I I don't always succeed in it myself, but mostly what I write for is is to gain access to that sense. Mm-hmm. Look, there's um just as as an example, sort of a, how it how it transitions from from life into work. Um, Robert and I take long walks, like I was mentioning before, mm-hmm. um, through Duluth. And a few blocks from our house, there's a, there's a beautiful sort of uh, small wilderness, uh, a park called Tisher. 
and there's a creek that runs through it, a beautiful, beautiful, uh, swift-running creek that runs all year, Tisha Creek. Um, it's very pretty, and there's a nice gravel path that runs along beside it, and there are bridges that go over it. And, uh, and there's a fox that must live nearby. I, I've seen this fox a few times, and foxes are clever. Um, but this one does something that I've never seen before, which is he, he hangs around this one part of the creek where there's a backwater and, the, and a, a thirsty creature can go down and, and drink easily. And if you go down there, there's a little wet sand and there's mud that never really dries. And you can see the tracks of all kinds of animals there, deer and cats and dogs and large birds and raccoons. But this fox that I keep seeing leaves no tracks. So two or three times I've seen him down there, standing by the water, getting a drink, looking around. And I wait until he's gone and then I go down to find his tracks because I like that language of animal tracks. And there just aren't any fox tracks down there. Somehow this fox, (laughs) who is as real as, as, as you and me, has figured out how not to lose tracks. So I have this picture in my head of a fox drifting along the shore with, with his feet like a couple of inches off the ground. <laughs> and, so, um, and so delight, it's usually there if, if yeah. you are willing to see it. And it's usually free. Uh, <laughs> so I think, this, I think this connects to what you kind of mentioned in your email, which was the, the state of the, you know, kind of the givenness of the world around us which, as I understand it, just means, you know, the world as it is, instead of maybe what we wish it was. But I think the light is that that door that gives us both at the same time, you know. Gives you both what at the Uh, same time? Both the world as it is, and a little bit extra, (laughs) just a little extra. So the fox is there. Um, but the fox is also um, drifting off the ground. Do you see what I'm getting at? <laughs> I uh, think it, so, yeah. it's, uh, it's like the, the world is solid and the world is corporeal, but it's also ethereal and delightful. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, it, there's, I guess maybe there's, a, there's a, an imagination or a, a childlikeness um, to seeing the world that way. But that's really the, the only reason I write is because I desperately need to be able to see both of those things. And, and writing is the only way I have found uh, to do it consistently. You know, when, when Leif was telling that story, I didn't, frankly, didn't quite get it. <laughs> I didn't know what the, yeah. didn't really know what he was getting at. And it was funny to me that how many people have said, to, you know, talk, have mentioned how delightful that story was. I mean, this story about delight. And yeah. I'm, I still can't quite make sense. I agree that that story delighted me. And I don't know what the point of the story it's, was. Honestly, neither do I. <laughs> okay, did you, but did you feel delight as you heard that story? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did too. Which, I guess that's the point. <laughs> so that was the, that was the sort of crowd favorite. Stumped me. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I think my favorite story um, that I've heard over the last 99 episodes was told by um, Ruth Naomi Floyd. Um, I am blessed that my father's grandmother, my great 
grandmother lived to be 109 years old. <laughs> oh, wow. And she was, she was the youngest of my great great grandmother, um, who okay. was an enslaved African in America. Um, at six feet, two inches tall, she was <gasps> taller than any other human around. Wow. But unfortunately, to break her in every way, as an example to the other slaves and communities, um, they made her become the mule mm. that pulled uh, the plow. So from sunup to sundown, this magnificent, handsome woman pulled the plow. And it, was, it didn't make sense because it wasn't productive, right? The right. mule could have done it much faster and more efficiently. By the time she was 28 years old, her spine was in the shape of an S. Mm. And she died. But um, my great-grandmother doesn't remember much. One of the things she remembers from her siblings telling her that on her, the way... Her mother, the woman, the human being, the life made in the image of God, walked from that place of dehumanization, the plow, to her cabin, and on the way, searched for beauty. She, whether it's a pine cone, a blade of grass, a twig, a flower, whatever it was, she picked it up and put it on a saucer, on the butcher's block, which served as the table. Mm. Also served as the table. And she would say, beauty is everywhere. You just have to look for it. I believe in my heart that if her life had been different, she would have been an artist. Sounds like it. And I believe that she was an artist. And she created as much as she was able to under the awful, awful genocidal you know, system of American slavery. Um, I love that that's instilled in me. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of Betsy Tinboom. You know, yeah. a lot, uh, a lot of the, just the in, intense suffering and the um, finding beauty in a way that boggles the mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, the, there's so much hope in that, and it's it. I guess the when I heard that story, it just reminded me that that what we're talking about, you know, in this in this podcast, and these, you know, every time we're talking about. Um, uh, well. Finding beauty, telling a truer story, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that's that's what that that woman was doing was telling a truer story than the one that, that she that she found herself in. Um, mm. It just feels like that story reminded me that, that this this work is worth it, and it's it's worth it's important. Yeah, it's about the dignity of humanity, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just most of all I'm just really grateful to Ruth. To, um, for telling that story. Yeah, me too. You know, this is the point in the episode where I would normally say, who are the writers who make you want to write? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you've answered this before because you've been a guest on this podcast before. So I think 
we'll just wrap up. I just want to say just how grateful I am to you, Drew, for what you've done in the first 100 episodes of uh, the Habit Podcast. And I'm just incredibly grateful to the people who listen and for the people who have, who have voluntarily given their wisdom and their insight. Um, I think we got a good thing going here, Drew, so let's just keep trucking. Yeah, like all conversations, it's been a collaborative, magical experience, and it's not over yet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jonathan. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.